Welcome to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Leland McRae. Leland, the big news in Augusta County, I mean, it has to be this announcement that Coach Bugden is stepping down as head football coach of yeah. Wilson Memorial, which, I mean, is kind of a big shock. Now, the reasoning gives a very reasonable reason it's to step reason. down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he's he's expecting another child and wants to be at home and help out with the family life. And, you know, that's commendable. But going back to the sports side, since we're the sports podcast, this kind of is a big deal to yeah. Wilson Memorial because he had been doing a good job. 16 and 13 over three seasons is very good. Um, but, um, well, let's focus on Coach Bugden. And then after you say yeah. what you want to about Coach Bugden, I'll say where I think this goes logically. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we tried to get Coach Bugden on tonight. Uh, we were set up to have him. Uh, we were trying to have him for the podcast. Then our schedules just didn't line up. So we're still trying to get him next week. I'd love to hear from him firsthand. And mm-hmm. uh, just to touch on, and then we'll get to the football side of it. As a father, I can I get it. I mean, I I do less radio than I used to do because of being a parent uh, to, to three kids. So uh, respect him for making that decision. And, you know, coaching at his alum and being a football guy. And he was, he was a good head coach. Um, you know, it, it's really, you, when he talks about sacrifice, that's a sacrifice. So I commend him for, for doing that and what's best for him and his family. Only he knows what that is. And it's great. I'm, I'm excited for him. I, my, my first reaction was happy that he's in a position that he can make that decision. I feel bad for Wilson. Cause I think they had a really good coach in there. I think, uh, he had done good things for them where when they had coach major, um, they had him rolling in the early 2010s. And then things kind of fell off for whatever reasons. I'm not putting that on Coach Major, but just things fell off, and there wasn't a whole lot of winning. He got him back into the playoffs those last two seasons, and the season before that, his first year, he had him right on the brink of the playoffs. Right. The only reason they didn't make the playoffs that year is because they took half as many teams in the playoffs mm-hmm. than they do every other year because it was that spring of COVID year. So I really liked the job he was doing. I will tell you it was this year before I probably gave him the credit I, I should have because I thought this year was the year they might take a step back. They were five and five during the season last year, but they started out four and one, but really fell off. And I thought that was a bad, bad omen to come into 2022 with. And he proved me wrong. And I love that he did because they were better at quarterback. He brought in, you know, a new offensive coordinator happened to be the dad of the quarterback, but you know, making the right moves, at the right times, letting them work and get it figured out and, and improve to seven and three in the regular season with, another good start, another five and one start. And then, you know, they lose the games to Riverheads and draft, but they didn't fall off. They didn't, you know, keep on losing. They went and beat gap, which surprised a lot of people. I think including some people on this podcast, including me. Uh, and then also Stanton beating Stanton in the last game. And that was, you know, the last, <laughs> the last quarter, the last minutes of the regular season and it, you know, playoff position, everything's on the line and they had to come back and win that game over a very improved Stanton team, a very, you know, battle tested Stanton team that started out the season undefeated. It was a heck of a win. So I, I believe we gave them a lot of credit down the stretch of the season for what they did and in the postseason. And, and it's hard in three C uh, you know, these last two years losing to LCA and losing to Brookville, a lot of teams, you know, do that kind of stuff. A lot of good teams do that. And I think Wilson was a solid, solidly good team. And so uh, I think it's a big loss for the Wilson football team. And uh, it proves the kind of guy he is. I, I think this decision, you know, you know, reinforces the kind of guy he was, how good a guy he is, how, you know, 
great of a leader he is. Um, but now they'll be looking for someone new and you know, who's that going to be? Yeah. Well, bef- before I get there, I, I just want to say, look, you, you thought, and I thought that they were going to take a step back this year because you're yeah. right. They were five and five and they were losing Noah Campbell, maybe one of the best running backs to ever come through that building. And especially in a very long time, they lost they Skyler two, winning. Two running backs. Yeah. Winning yeah. and Campbell both gone. And those were the two main cogs of the offense and the passing game had struggled. Well, this year the passing game recovered and that's also, I think, in credit due to the guy who I think is the logical next step at maybe, I'm not saying he's definitely the head coach, but I think he's a logical candidate for that job. It's got to be Coach Pagorski. I, I think it just makes a lot of sense for him to go from the offensive coordinator role, which we saw the offense play very well this year, uh, and move into that head coach role. He he was doing very well when he was the offensive coordinator at draft. We see him leave draft, and draft's offense takes a huge and I mean huge, step back this season. Um, He goes to Wilson. Wilson's offense gets better. So I think it makes a lot of sense uh, for him to be a candidate for that head coaching job. Yeah, it's hard to argue that. Everybody I've talked to today, that's the first name they bring up. If they they can't say his name right, they say the offensive coordinator, the the quarterback's dad. (laughs) That's what I heard all day from people. So, um, But this is Augusta County. It's a school. Uh, a lot of things go into those decisions, oh, you know, sure. teaching positions, stuff like that. Uh, there's a lot of, not even politics that go into it, but a lot of externals from what actually happens on the football field that go into it. So I would have to assume there's a conversation with Rogorski, uh, you know, of interest in the head coach, but also, you know, if he if he's not going to be head coach staying around, you know, you'd want to keep that around. So uh, I, I hope for Wilson's sake, there's a lot of stability in this change, even though the main guys moving, I just, I would like there to see a lot of stability. Cause I like the direction it was headed. You know, we saw stability at Riverheads. Obviously we saw stability at Stanton, which was not already riding high, but we saw a stability higher and we saw how much that improved them. Uh, you know, not completely throwing out everything the kids knew and, and just, you know, kind of, building off what you already had learned for a couple of years. And it really worked at Stanton. I think that would be beneficial at Wilson as well. Um, even if it's not Pogorski, even if there's another guy in the room that deserves that opportunity or someone in the school or someone, you know, familiar with the program uh, that, you know, I, I'd be interested in that kind of thing rather than someone from, you know, outside the area even coming in. And I think, you know, we've seen a lot of coaches locally stay local. That's what we saw. Um, uh, Wygant out at Buffalo Gap. He came from that Wilson coaching staff and uh, went over to Buffalo Gap. And I think he's done a, a very good job over there. And uh, you also wonder about that name, like, you know, with the history with him at Wilson. I, you just, you could throw out a lot of situations like that and uh, it'd be interesting. So I, I think these next couple of weeks, you know, most of the time these hires kind of happen by March, usually like February is when these coaching decisions get made. And especially if it's in-house, the, the quicker we'll hear about it. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. But, yeah, this was news that I wasn't expecting. And uh, it all comes from the, 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 best, uh, the best news that, um, that someone is expecting, that, that uh, his family has another baby on the way. So that's just, you know, congratulations to him for that. Uh, we look forward to talking to him whenever we can, and even if it's down the road, uh, just because uh, I, I, I know I want to say firsthand that I was impressed with, with what he did with that team uh, these couple of years. So um, they, they'll move on, and, and we'll, we'll have a nice story to talk about come fall. <laughs> yeah, and again, congratulations to him and his family, and, yeah. um, you know, wish them the best in his uh, 
at least in between football life. He, if it ends up being post football, he doesn't go back then post football life, but at least in between. That, that is one of the, one of the questions I wrote down was, was there, you know, something in his brain talking down the line. I, I get leaving for a while. I get leaving forever. I, I'm not saying I wouldn't understand either sure. way, but I, it'd just be interesting to hear his response to that question. And, you know, if, if he actually answers it, and I'm not saying he's a, a dodger of questions, <laughs> but, you know, he's got a lot of unknowns ahead of him, you know, yeah, that yeah. Uh, he might not even, he might only be thinking about nine months down the road, not much past that. So, no, that's, that's very true. Um, but let's talk about high school basketball that went on. Um, I think the first thing we have to mention is uh, shortly after we got off the podcast, we find out that Waynesboro gets their first district win of the year. Uh, Coach Spears and the Waynesboro Giants go out and knock off Buffalo Gap boys uh, in a pretty big upset. Uh, we were talking about Buffalo yeah. Gap boys that maybe if they could piece some things together, um, getting back, maybe being that third place team in the district. I think that's, you can stop thinking about that. Not only did they lose to Waynesboro this week, they lost to Stanton. That really puts them behind the eight ball there. And I, I think this is now at best a fourth place team in the district. And I don't even know if they're that good. Yeah, and I and it, it it shoots some. What did I say last week? You know, can Buffalo Gap make it back to states and stuff like that? You, you say that because of how much that talent's on that team. You know, yep. you got the Bowers kid who's getting all kinds of recognition, and he should. I mean, he's a good player, and uh, you know, you see a loss like that, and that really surprises you. Part of that is the Shenandoah district. Anybody can beat anybody. Last year, I think Waynesboro had an upset over against a top half team, and it was surprising, but. I just, with what Buffalo Gap had already lost, with already three losses on the season, for that to be their fourth loss, you know, in six games, um, or I guess it was five games at the time, uh, very surprising. Now, they did rebound uh, with a win right. over um, Stewart's draft tonight on Tuesday night as we're recording, uh, so that's good. Um, but, you know, I think we're starting to see Stanton and Wilson, the two teams that we said a week ago, I think we're seeing them rise to the top. I, you know, I, I think Fort did knock off Wilson last week while we were recording, and it kind of shot holes in that. But I, I just think we're going to have teams beating teams. or uh, We'll see that. But I just I think in the end we're going to see Wilson and Stanton. That little rivalry is going to keep on brewing. I think it's good. Uh, you know, that's fifth-year Terrell Mickens against sixth-year Jeremy Hartman, who used to coach at Stanton for the girls' side. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, you know, I'm not completely ruling – everybody else out but i i just i have to agree that i see it going that way um riverheads here on tuesday night they did get the win over waynesboro so waynesboro didn't keep the magic going um as they lost to fort last week and then riverheads tonight but you know it's it's a fun district to watch but you know what does that turn into the postseason you know we'll have to see and it all being split up is what helps here but uh you know I, I don't know. I didn't come away from kind of coming full circle here. I didn't come away from gap losing to Waynesboro as all that shows the strength of the district. It, it more showed me some of the weakness that's in the district. Right. And, and as you touched on, you know, when, when we talk about last year that anybody can beat anybody that ended up not being a good thing for the Shenandoah district. Yeah. It kind of showed that the Shenandoah district was having a down year in basketball a little bit. And I think, yeah while we are talking about Stanton and Wilson, maybe that's not the case with them. Um, and, and Fort to an extent, I think Fort's just unfortunately for Fort, when you look at Wilson Stanton, where they're going to be positioned in the region tournaments, really going to prevent Fort from being a player there. Um, yeah, but I mean, they Buffalo have Gap doesn't I mean, have that. Buffalo Gap has a much easier region with Riverheads, but with that kind of loss to Waynesboro, it really exposes the, I guess inconsistency of that team 
and yeah. why even in a region like 1B, because of where that's what that's going to do to them seeding-wise, why I would worry about them maybe getting back to states where last week, you're right, we were talking about this team has the talent to go to states, and really, yeah. they need to be focusing on having a good seeding and have a good region tournament. Well, now that kind of has some holes blown in it. Yeah, you put them right there with Riverheads, and I, I don't give either one an upper hand right now. Nope. I know a gap did beat Riverheads a couple weeks ago, but, you know. But there's other teams it's, in that region, and, and right. it, and it's then a you better basketball region. You have to win that region. Lancaster's and they're undefeated mm-hmm. right now. You cannot go to Lancaster in the state quarterfinals and expect to win. Right. Um, on the girls' side, Wilson continues to roll along. Um, they did beat Fort Defiance, uh, and then they went on to beat Riverheads, which is kind of the next best team. In girls basketball, it looks like this season. In yeah, the they had a district. rough week. They had a hard week, and they took care of business. Yeah, but they're on a roll, and that's good news for them. Um, and, and they kind of look to be kind of that separation in class there. Uh, you know, we talked about Buffalo Gap having some injuries. They've got some players back, and we what we saw out of Buffalo Gap was wins against Waynesboro and Stanton last week. Uh, they got draft, and then Broadway this week. So that'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, but. Right now, it's still kind of on the boys' side uh, where we're looking at the Class 3 teams being the top of the class. It's Class 3 teams here on the girls' side this year as well. In the It's just Wilson and Fort instead of Wilson and Stanton. Yeah. And Riverheads and Gap are, are those next two. It's the, you know, the Class 2 team sure. drops to the bottom here. But, uh, you know, I think Riverheads still has some chance to make a little bit noise. Um, I, even in some of their losses, I've been encouraged a little bit. That's Homer Leland talking a, a touch there, uh, who has two daughters that hope to play in that program one day. But, uh, no, I, I do think Riverheads isn't just going to get walked over by Wilson and Fort the rest of the way. I think they did. That's their two losses right now are to those two teams. But I, I imagine uh, they battled in uh, particularly the Fort game. Mm-hmm. I imagine they'll battle the, on the next meetings. But, you know, I, I think – this is one of the main areas where I, you know, I think Riverheads gets battle tested and that might help them in the postseason. Um, same thing for Gap. If they, if we get their players back from injury, sure. I think playing those tougher teams is going to get them where I'm a little more optimistic about Riverheads and Gap and the, on the girls side, uh, what they can do in this region than I am on the boys. I, I think you're right. I think that's exactly right. Oh, I get, we got to record that little, I think you're right. I like it. Don't hear it often. Well, we don't need to have like <laughs> recorded evidence of it other than like that brief moment in the podcast right there. Uh, I definitely don't want that clipped. It's not going to be like a recurring theme. So, <laughs> well, Leland, um, while you're done talking about how I praised you, uh, let's finish that and bring on an expert to talk about some college basketball, especially with the teams in state in Mike Barber. So we do have Mike Barber on, and uh, Mike, thanks for joining us again. Uh, I know Leland and I both really appreciate you taking any time out of your week to talk to us, but we want to talk about UVA and Virginia Tech basketball. There at the beginning of the year, it looked like the ACC was, I had even said, the ACC is running through the Commonwealth this year. Duke and North Carolina, get out of the way. It's UVA and Virginia Tech's time to shine. And almost as soon as I said that, that's when the wheels fell off for Virginia Tech and UVA's hit some bumps. Yeah, you know, it's funny that, that the big narrative, right, coming into the year was the ACC has to be better. It's got to be better in the non-conference. It's got to establish itself. And, you know, I went out to Vegas with UVA where they picked up some massive wins, and then they beat Michigan. And so it's hard sometimes for me. I'm like, yeah, the ACC did it. And then you look around 
at the other teams and you're like, maybe the ACC didn't do it. Like <laughs> maybe the ACC wasn't so good in, in non-conference games. I'm just blinded by, I happen to see personally three big ones. Uh, I do think the ACC is stronger this year. I think it's in a better shape. Uh, I think Virginia may be the best team in the ACC when it's all said and done. Um, you mentioned they've had some blips. Certainly we'll get into and, you know, Virginia Tech, who I thought was going to be uh, one of the top three teams in the league and too early to give up on them, but um, certainly an alarming slide here. And, you know, we talked to Mike Young this week and I know it happened to them a year ago, but uh, it feels different this time around and um, maybe a little more difficult, especially with, like I just said, a stronger ACC, maybe diff- more difficult to turn it around. So, so let's dig, let's dig at UVA first. Uh, since that's probably the more positive thing to say. They've, they've had some bumps, but they're still riding pretty high. Uh, you know, a lot of people are, you know, pointing to the national championship season and, and any of those ACC championship seasons for them and, and making their comparisons. And, you know, it seems pretty justified. You know, what's your look at how they've been able to start this ACC season and, and you know, kind of what their ceiling might be? Yeah, that, that's the, the key thing there is their ceiling. Like when they're at their best, I think they are a Final Four caliber team. Now, the problem is they lost Reese Beekman for a few games. They showed that missing that piece, they're okay, right? They weren't a great team without him. Without that penetration to open up for three-point shooters, they were bad offensively. Without him on the perimeter, on the ball, um, they weren't as good defensively. Now, they're still a good team, a quality team, that's all. But when people are talking about, could this be a Final Four team? Well, they showed that down a piece. No, they're not healthy and full strength. Yeah, they could be uh, when they're hitting their shots, when they're hitting their shots, they're just, and it's been this way for Tony Bennett's entire 14 years. If they hit their shots, then they're able to get back and get set on defense. And all of a sudden they're one of the toughest teams in America to score on. If they miss their shot and it's a long rebound and the other team's running the floor and pushing it, and it's not a set defense, it's a scramble, it's transition. It's four guys set. One guy's still getting back. They're just like everybody else. Uh, so, yes, ceiling-wise, I think this Virginia team could be absolutely great. But a couple slips or a couple misses, they tumble quickly uh, down a few pegs. And that's, uh, you know, you mentioned the Beekman injury, and I, I, that's what I noticed because I went to the game they played at home against JMU this year, and he played all of, you know, a minute before he re-aggravated his injury and left. And, you know, I was sitting there, and I was telling the guy I went to the game with, I was like, this team is real average real quick. Like, this is not the same UVA team that was going out and beating the Michigans and, and waxing all these other teams earlier in the year and scoring. I was like, this team can't do that if he's not on the floor. And yeah, so he, it's interesting. He's a dynamic mentioned. and a special talent in terms of putting the ball on the floor and getting to the rim. And um, UVA, that, that's not what they're built on, right? Like, I mean, they've had guys who could do it. Brogdon and Justin Anderson certainly was a great athlete. But um, overall, they're they're not known as this dribble penetration, go hard to the rack kind of team. Uh, Beekman brings that that to them. Then he kicks it out. And all of a sudden, are they a better three-point shooting team or not? Well, yeah, when the defense is sagging and they're getting open uh, catch and shoot threes, they're pretty darn good. Vanderblas can do that. McNeely can do that. Kihei Clark can do that. Beekman can do it. But if nobody's drawing that defense and they don't have their post players have been terrible offensively. Jaden Gardner has been disappointing. Caden Shedrick has been a no show. Uh, Kafaro's Kafaro. He's not going to be a, an offensive threat. Um, so for that to happen, for a defense to collapse and leave shooters open, they need Beekman and Clark going to the rim. So Beekman being out that that was, 
it really did. It was not that it's a house of cards, like that's way too harsh mm -hmm. because it's a good team. Um, but without him there, it, it's not a great team. On the flip side for Virginia Tech, um, it's just it's it's really conference play just has not come together. I think they started out one and zero in conference play and they've lost every game since. Um, what do you what do you think is the biggest difference right now in what we were expecting to see and what we are seeing? Well, and again, and I'm not making excuses for these teams, but Hunter Couture being out is as impactful a loss as Reese Beekman being out for UVA. Hunter Couture is probably their best outside shooter. Um, he is a tremendous on-ball defender. He is also kind of the, the guy who brings the toughness. He brings the edge to the team. Um, I think you cannot overstate how big it's been to not have Couture. Now, you look at Sean Padula. Sean Padula averaged almost 17 points a game before this losing streak. He's down in the 15 area during the losing streak. He's missing a ton of shots. Is he not playing as well? Yeah, there's a matter of that. But with Couture out, defenses are much more focused on Sean Padula. Sean Padula also is much more focused on thinking, I've got to score. So what made Virginia Tech great, if you go back to when they beat Carolina, I'm pretty sure it's what I wrote in my column about that night, but they were so unselfish with the ball. I mean, they would have good shots that they passed on to get the proverbial great shots. They moved the ball around. Everything was unselfish. It was Mike Young basketball. They didn't turn it over. They assisted everything, and it was great. It feels like with Couture out, everybody's feeling a little more pressure. Justin Mutz, I think he's averaging four turnovers a game during the losing streak. That's crazy. Like, Virginia Tech doesn't do that. Mike Young teams don't do that. But there's that pressure right now, I think, that Mutz is feeling. Couture's not out here. We've got to make up for that. It just feels like they've got a bunch of guys who are trying to make up for Couture being out. They've either got to get that mindset flipped or they've got to get Couture back. And, and we think for Wednesday night they'll have him. But uh, getting him back, getting back to that chemistry where they were moving the ball, not turning it over, and hitting their shots. So talking about Wednesday night, you know, that's that's kind of the time of why we brought you on the podcast this week. And, you know, it's a, it's a big old rivalry game. Virginia Tech has played UVA, I think, rather well over, you know, most of the this time that UVA has been good. Uh, Virginia Tech, if they're half decent, has played them pretty well and had a lot of years with a lot of splits. You know, what are what are your kind of projections on what we're going to see Wednesday night as when they match up? So the Couture thing is the wild card, because yeah. if you want to look at where these teams are right now, why has Virginia won three in a row and five out of six? They've been playing great defense. They haven't been turning over the basketball, and they're shooting threes like crazy. They're up over 44% from three-point range during this recent win streak. You go to the flip side, why is Virginia Tech lose? They're turning the ball over like crazy, and they're not hitting their threes. They're down around 27% during their five-game losing streak from the three-point line. So it's almost like everything that Virginia's doing well, Virginia Tech is struggling with. Virginia got going again as Beekman got healthy. So to me, is it as simple? I know Mike Young said to us this week, hey, Hunter Couture is not the cure-all. Just because he comes back doesn't mean everything's fixed. And I get that mentality, but I think that a lot of things are going to be fixed if they get Hunter Couture back, especially if he's 100%, right? He's got that bruised elbow. If he starts taking shots and he gets a little sore and he's hesitant and passes on shots, it's a different story. But if they've got 100% full-strength Hunter Couture, I do think it solves a lot of their problems. Uh, I think this is going to be a great game. I, I'm expecting it to be a really good matchup. Uh, both of these teams are great at jamming the lane and forcing you to shoot from the outside. Both of these teams are almost unstoppable when they're hitting outside shots and are extremely beatable when they're not. 
So what you kind of hope from a fan perspective and from a media perspective is you hope they're both doing kind of the same thing. Like I hope they're both hitting all their threes or missing all their threes. If one is and one's not, the game gets sideways. But if we can go into this game and Virginia and Virginia Tech are both hot from the outside and are both jamming the lane and denying penetration, I think you're going to see more of what you were referencing. We've seen some really competitive games, regardless of streaks and who's ranked. We've seen some really good matchups, not just because of the rivalry, but because these two coaches fundamentally play a fairly similar style. Move the ball, get good shots, get back, pack the lane. Um, you know, they're, they're difference in, in the way they want to do things. I think Virginia Tech still wants to push it a little bit more than, than UVA certainly does. But um, at their base, these teams kind of want to do some of the same things. So I'll ask you, and I know there's another Virginia Tech-UVA matchup, and we'll probably try to get you on again before that <laughs> one as well, and maybe we can update this question then. But as of right now, Leland and I were talking about it uh, you know, last week on the podcast, and we said, well, you know, as long as you don't lose these games this week, you're not in that win the ACC tournament or else mode, but they didn't. And so now I know Leland and I are kind of feeling like this kind of feels like a Virginia Tech team that's going to be win the ACC tournament if you want to get in the NCAA tournament. Is that They're going to be helped it? by the fact that the ACC is better. I don't think we're looking at, you know, the last year, the ACC came really damn close to having only three teams in the NCAA tournament. Okay. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. I think you're looking at six, seven, maybe eight teams, depending on how things play out here for the ACC. Can Virginia Tech at this moment, as we're talking at, at you know, 10 o'clock, can they get back into that group? Absolutely. They can. What's scaring me and I have on my other screen here is their upcoming schedule, right? I mean, they've got some, a stretch here that if they don't get right, could bury them because they have Virginia. They have Clemson on the road. They have Duke at home, Syracuse. I mean, this is a, a stretch here of four and, and then Miami who's in first. So, I mean, they've got a stretch then Virginia again, they've got a stretch here of games that if they don't get right and don't win half of them, yeah, they're going to go to Greensboro needing to win the whole thing again. Again, Hunter Couture coming back. This team could flip the switch starting Wednesday night start playing the way we expect. And I think they're still in position to be okay. But if they're not okay immediately, this is a scary stretch coming up. I want to, I want to ask you up to this point in the season as well, which has been the most surprising team in the ACC? Cause there's a few names that when I'm looking at the standings, I'm like, man, what are they doing up there? Um, but which one has been the most surprising to you? Well, you said up there, so this is the wrong. <laughs> Notre Dame has been the most surprising team for me in the conference. They were my sleeper pick. They've been hot trash. <laughs> I mean, they can't beat anybody. Uh, when it came end. on, yeah. they were losing to Florida State. I mean, they are – I'm stunned at how bad they have been, and it's defensively. They are just not doing anything defensively. They made some moves with their staff to get better on that end. Uh, but nobody wants to listen to us talk for 20 minutes about maybe the worst team in the ACC. I think Clemson has to be the most surprising. You know, Miami, I thought would be good. Um, Wake Forest had a chance because it's all the new pieces. But to me, Clemson, Brad Brownell, I thought was on the hot seat coming into this year. Um, to me, they're the team uh, that is better than I thought. I thought they'd be good. They've been great. Um, and because it's starting on the defensive end with them, it's sustainable. Right. Like they're a big team. They're tough to match up with because of their size. They've got older guys who are veterans who are developed in that program. They went out and added a piece to kind of finish things off. And they are so steady defensively. Um, I think Clemson is how good they've been is a bit of a surprise. 
and the fact that they really look like they're built to finish the job. And I don't know if that means winning the ACC, but that means ending the year as a really good team. Um, they've been my surprise so far of the year. All right, let's shift here a little bit um, as we didn't uh, have you at the end of the football season, but let, let's kind of look at the ahead to the next football season, the football recruiting, um, you know, Virginia, Virginia Tech, both in similar spots with coaches after their first year. You know, what's been your feeling from the uh, recruiting results so far for these two head coaches? Yeah, I thought going into the, the early signing period, I sort of underwhelmed by both of them. I thought Virginia Tech picked up a little momentum. They, they kind of finished strong. Um, you know, right now, I, I'd say Brent Pry and, and Virginia Tech, um, they did a better job. They had more success anyway. I don't know who, what kind of jobs everybody did, but in terms of results, I, I think Virginia Tech, um, I think they've got themselves in a good place. I think they've got some momentum. Um, are they getting the top guys in the state? Are they getting the top guys in the Richmond area? No, still not that. But they're getting a lot of good players, right? They're getting a lot of top 50, top 75 Virginia guys. Um, the next step is to cut off Penn State, cut off Ohio yeah. State, cut off. No, that's got to happen if you're going to become a really good program. If you're going to be a team that wins the ACC, that contends for for bigger things, you've got to get those guys. Um because we wrote that book. That's I mean, that's you're you're making that statement because Virginia Tech did that through the right. 2000s. Did did it for for a decade, and then all of a sudden, Penn State, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and all of a sudden, it just this was Big Ten country out of nowhere, right? Um, and, and again, in the top ten, top twelve, that was still the case. And North Carolina, you got to do something with North Carolina. They're still coming in and getting too many guys. Yeah, but they I thought, just lost their top recruiter, so I'm 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 up. <laughs> They're, they're, they're an interesting situation in their yeah. own right over there. But um, but I do think that, that Virginia Tech, you've got to do it incrementally. You're not just going to come in and all of a sudden get the top five guys in the state, but you go and get a whole bunch of guys in the top 50, and all of a sudden you're, you're rebuilding those pipelines to those schools. Um, yeah. Your fans, your students, your, your the people in the high school communities are excited about Virginia Tech again because you're getting in-state guys. And then when their school has the blue chip, there's that buzz and that feel about Virginia Tech. So I, I really like um, the momentum they've got. I like what they've done. And, and you know, we, we've talked about this before, but so much of the recruiting in-state focus was perception versus reality. But to their credit, this staff has given off the perception and it gives off the vibe that nothing is more important than in-state recruiting. And that's very valuable. They've been successful yeah. there. Uh, Virginia had a terrible season. Then they had an off-field tragedy. Uh, so how much did all of that play into? Hard to know. But they had, I thought, a fairly disappointing, fairly run-of-the-mill recruiting class. Um, it's interesting. You go back and compare it to the Bronco years, it wasn't much worse. <laughs> Bronco wasn't um, didn't do all that well recruiting-wise when you're looking at stars and ratings and class rankings. Um, but I think the Tony Elliott hire and formula was supposed to be different. Right. Like when Bronco got a bunch of two and three star guys and said he's going to develop them, you were kind of like, okay, that's kind of the Bronco way. And um, he did it. Right. He won a coastal division title with classes full of some three star guys uh, that he had brought in anyway, not what he inherited. Uh, Tony Elliott, the, the pitch was different. It was here's Tony Elliott. He's got that Clemson uh, kind of reputation and, and he's going to be a guy who's able to to really turn things around on the recruiting front, get some bigger. That didn't happen. Again, it's year one. They had a bad year. They had the off-field tragedy. But as we sit here right now, as you ask me, yeah, I'm underwhelmed by what Virginia did on the recruiting front. 
uh, on the field, did you think like, and I know you've touched on it and I listen to a lot of sports pro, uh, podcasts and one of them in particular was talking kind of what you were talking about. Bronco Mendenhall isn't known as a great recruiter. He's known as a more of a coaches and scheme guy. He's going to build them up in the program. And that's not what Tony Elliott was sold as. And Brent Pry has been sold as a guy who recruited well in Virginia and he's doing better, but Virginia tech also had a pretty disappointing year um, on the field. Do you think that the offense at UVA taking such a huge step back in year one of the Tony Elliott, maybe scared away some of these recruits that might have been looking at UVA and like, uh, maybe something's not right there. Cause I mean, one of the best quarterbacks that they've had in a long time, um, did not look good and is now transferring out of there. Yeah, and go back to his last year at Clemson, DJU, who was supposed to be a superstar, yeah. didn't yeah. look good. So um, is it fair? I don't know. Give me a couple of years. We'll come back. We can talk about whether or not it's fair. Doesn't matter, right? Goes back to perception. Yes, I, I think the idea that Tony Elliott is this offensive mastermind that you can go play, that's fading, and it's fading quickly. Um, they need to do something. But I thought Tony mismanaged the offense this year. I thought he was too too in a hurry to get to what Tony Elliott year five offense is going to look like. Um, he should have blended what Brennan Armstrong and those receivers did well, had some more success on the field, incorporated more timing routes, more pro style, the stuff he wants to get to. And then next year go kind of full bore or, or three quarters. And um, who knows if they look great in three in, in year three on offense, we're going to say, man, I guess it was good that he bit the bullet and, did it all in year one. If they're scuffling along and he's on the hot seat, I think people are going to point to that year and say, you threw away a chance for momentum. Uh, now, I mean, fan bases, what do you want? Justin Fuente came in at Virginia Tech, had a great first year, did everything right on the offensive end and won a ton with a bunch of players he inherited. And, and that didn't make that a successful program. Uh, so again, the jury's out, but I thought Tony Elliott had a chance to build some momentum on the field and in recruiting and with his reputation uh, and it didn't happen. And I thought a big part of that was his kind of stubbornness of, I want to get my scheme in place for the future right now. I have one more question before I let Leland steer us away from football if he wants, but looking at the Virginia tech side, Leland and I have talked about this and Leland's much nicer than I am about it at times, but you've talked about the Fuente feel and the Brent Pry feel with Virginia tech fans and, Leland and I being Virginia Tech fans, we have that as well in us. And when people were transferring out during the Fuente time, it was kind of alarming because you're like, all right, some of these guys are actually kind of good. Hendon Hooker being the worst of them to leave. And then you're like, oh, he's a Heisman candidate when he goes somewhere else. And he sure didn't look like that here. Um, whereas Brent Price got a lot of people transferring too. But I told Leland, at least the way I looked at it, I was like, there wasn't an all-conference anything on that roster, so by all means, get out. Like so, we can get some more people in. Um, is are you viewing it kind of the same way as like it's just it's a different feel with these transfers, even though some of them are players that were getting playing time that are transferring out. That yeah, maybe, yeah, there, there, maybe there it's was a some thing good... of writing on the wall. They can see the players coming in, or maybe going to get playing time. I, I mean, there, there's you think about Caleb Smith going to Notre Dame. That doesn't look or feel great. Right. Uh, Armani Chapman, that doesn't look or feel great. Um, but it, it doesn't feel like the catastrophe because it's happening everywhere. Mm -hmm. 
right? It's happening all over the country. And, and it didn't feel like a mass exodus. And, and remember, the thing with Fuente was, and part of it was because of how good they were the first two years, this didn't happen with Fuente till year three. Mm-hmm. That was like, okay, you've had a chance to see where this guy's going and you want out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, some of these transfers just feel like, hey, you've got this free transfer. You got a coach that you didn't know you were playing for. The year wasn't very good. I think that, you know, it's being underreported, under how dishonest the transfer portal recruiting is, right? Like, I don't think these guys are going to the portal to see what's out there. I think these guys are saying, hearing, hey, and I'm not pointing to anybody in particular, but they're hearing, hey, School X wants you. Put your name in the portal. And that's why you're seeing some of these guys immediately popping in and out of the portal. Um, I'm not concerned about it. I'm concerned with some things I saw on the field in terms of Brent Pry. I'm concerned by a defense that that didn't seem like it had a clutch gene and couldn't finish off games. That worries me. I'm concerned with a head coach who at times didn't seem ready for game management, late game game management. Um, I want to see improvement in those two areas on the field. But in terms of the way the program's being managed, I still have good feel, good energy around Virginia Tech. Again, the recruiting stuff, I think, is pointed in the right direction. I think fans are happy with Brent Pry. I know the season was not very good. I don't think the season was expected to be very good. If I was a guy who was excited when Brent Pry walked off the stage at his introductory press conference, I should still be a guy who's just as excited. I I didn't see anything that concerns me uh, in that regard. Again, things that need to be addressed, things that need to be improved. but if you felt good about Brett Pry going into the year, I think you should feel good about him coming out of the year. All right, let's uh, wrap you up here with, uh, we always try to hit you up. You've, you've been through the holidays. Maybe you've had a, a minute to actually watch some non-sports uh, television. What uh, what might you have been into recently? What movies do you recommend? Maybe a binge to show. What, what do you got? Yeah, so I, I'll tell you, I did watch um, all of uh, Andor, yeah, the, oh. I thought that was great. Um, I thought it was really, really good. I, it's maybe a little old for your listeners. Some people already, but I thought that was really good. Um, Empire Strikes Back has been always my favorite of, of all those movies. And this was in that vein. It was a little darker, a little grittier. Um, yeah. Really enjoyed that. I watched uh, the uh, House of Dragons, the Game of Thrones prequel. Um, I got thrown off. If, it's not a spoiler here, but like an episode five, they jump ahead 10 years and they change oh. the cast. And I was sitting here at this desk watching on the screen and I looked up, I'm like, what the hell, who are these people? And I turned, I thought, I thought sometimes my, you know, streaming skips ahead. So I looked, I'm like, no, I'm on the right episode. And then I had to go look for like an online blog where somebody explained they had done it because the characters are supposed to be 10 years older. That messed me up. I did see a really good movie. I'm, I'm super, we've talked about this. I'm super into cooking. Um, I love to cook. I love, that's my hobby. My new year's resolution is I'm, I'm cooking Every week, once a week, a new dish or challenging dish that I've never tried. Um, so we're three weeks into that. And so far, knock on wood, all success. But I was talking about that to somebody and they said, have you ever seen the movie Burnt with Bradley Cooper? I had not. Didn't remember it. When I think of Bradley Cooper, I think of Rocket Raccoon from Guardians of the Galaxy. But I said, all right, let me, let me go check it out. It was on Netflix. It was only an hour 40. It's not one of these three-hour time commitments where you're like, when the f- am I supposed to watch a three-hour? That's Scorsese. Right, the, or, or, yeah. or the or the Marvel <laughs> stuff where you're like, yeah, I'll watch it over the next three weeks. <laughs> hour 40, I knocked it out. It was the story of a, a chef who kind of has a, his life get astray on him, comes back, try to have a bounce-back comeback uh, and win another Michelin star. Um, I really enjoyed that, and it kind of fit in nicely with my New Year's resolution. So yeah. 
Andor, House of Dragons, and if, and if you're looking for a movie, I thought Burnt with Bradley Cooper on Netflix was very good. Awesome. All good uh, recommendations. I, I did want to take a second. You know, we, we were supposed to have you there uh, on the podcast there uh, Thanksgiving week as the rivalry was, and uh, it wasn't lack of uh, reading your writing that week uh, for not uh, having you on the podcast. But I just wanted to, you know, face-to-face tell you how much I appreciated your coverage uh, that week, especially the next morning after the tragedy there at UVA. Um, I think you did sports writers uh, well that week as you jumped right into non-sports coverage of stuff that really matters. And and, and as much as, uh, you know, we all think sports matters and and we live that sports (laughs) matters, it it really doesn't. And when it got to real life stuff, um, man, I thought you were at your best. And uh, I really want to appreciate what you did. Then I know I, I thanked you um, in an email then too, uh, but I just wanted to say it more publicly that I thought you did a super job. Um, you're, you're just, you did a great job and showed how great a writer you are through all well, that. Well, thanks. It means a lot because that is, uh, you know, we all think we can handle it as sports writers. We're like, we're good at this stuff. And then we get thrown into it. And, and a lot of my colleagues were in the same situation and you get done with that week. And, and however you think you did, if you think you did well or not, I think all of us are like, man, I'm glad that that's not my job yeah. 52 weeks out of the year because it, it, it takes an emotional toll, right? It, it, that's that's something that's sort of missing in, in the sports writing is I'm going to enjoy a game, you know, a great game, a loss, a win. I enjoy being around college athletics. Um, there was nothing to enjoy when yeah. you're covering something like that. Um, but but comments like that and, and hearing from families, you know, that that makes you think, okay, I was doing it for the right reason. I, I'm glad I did it. Um, but man, I, I think about people who that's their career, man. They're doing breaking news, hard news stuff all the time. And I think, boy, a, a bad day in sports still beats a, a good day in the news department. And I'm uh, quite thankful, but uh, thank you for that. Yeah, it was, uh, quite a week and, and, and something that we'll, we'll never forget. And, you know, when the guys talk about, you know, the basketball players have talked about, it wasn't a one day or a one week or a one month thing. It's going to be on our minds forever. And, um, when, when you experience things like that so intimately, it does stay with you forever. Uh, absolutely. And I was, you know, I was a student in 07 at Virginia Tech. So anything like that uh, bothers me and then, as it does most people, but it, it, it hits me different. But also when it starts to be more at home, when, you know, um, something at Bridgewater happens or, yeah. you know, I- anything that starts to really affect people I know or people like you that I'm friends with that are covering that kind of stuff, it, it, it drives me crazy too. So I, all I did Monday, that Monday was just watch your Twitter feed basically all day. So um, appreciate you doing that again. And uh, hopefully you don't have to do that again. Hopefully you don't have yeah. to do anything ever like that again. You can use your talents <laughs> for uh, final four runs and ACC championships and all that. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to say that uh, here on the podcast. Well, thank you. Yeah. That'd be nice if we could uh, just stick to stick to sports. You know, they always say that and it's always derisive. You say stick to sports, but man, <laughs> given that alternative. Yeah. yeah let, let's, let's stick to it. So uh I appreciate that. And always appreciate you guys making time for me. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah thank you for coming on and uh, we'll get you all back on soon. And, uh, ex- you know, it, whether it's when UVA and tech play again, or as we approach the ACC tournament, like we always do, uh, we look forward to having you then. Yeah, let's do it. Can't wait. Thanks. Uh, thanks again for having me. Thank you, man. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Um, and you know, 
you can ignore oh, Leland when he starts throwing the F word like friend around like that. You can you don't have to. <laughs> oh, I, thought told... I, I think I might have actually. No, no, used no, the no, other no. One. I've, I've told Leland. <laughs> I've told Leland before when he starts going in and, you know, I told Le- he was trying to use the word friend before I was comfortable with that with him for a while. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, when I, I am I the friend guys, at the radio I station? consider you guys friends at this point. I think we've, uh, we've been doing this enough that uh, I think we can count ourselves in that category. This, this was number 15. So, yeah. I'm so. telling you, so, so yeah, so uh, ACC, Serious ACC told me that I won, I forget they call these awards, but, you know, they're, they're joke, like they're, they're humorous, yeah. but they're like, you're, you're the most frequent guest of the year. So I said, okay, I said, I'll, I'll watch the mail. What, what do I, do I get a trophy? Do I get a certificate? And they're like, well, you, you don't really get anything. And I'm like, well, that's sort of a <laughs> hollow award that isn't it? Um, <laughs> although the fact that, that other people lost, is, yeah. it's kind of like the Grinch Yes. When, uh, says, you know, know what? Full of losers. <laughs> you know so, what? Uh, I, is it okay if we keep this part in? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, because yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm. I want to bring this up while we're still rolling and get your opinion on it. I have told this to Leland before, and Leland always disagrees with me and is like, mm, I don't know if I like that. I have always said I get more enjoyment out of my rival losing than I do my yeah. own team winning. <laughs> no. Like. UVA losing to UMBC is more memorable than any Virginia Tech basketball win I can remember. So I, I get that. I think it's to within a certain point. Like for me, growing up a Yankee fan, like Red Sox, wow. bad Red Sox defeats were as good as big Yankee wins. But that was before the Yankees started winning World Series. And what I realized was when your team wins a championship, your rival loses, even though they're not on the field. That yeah. time, right. The Boston <laughs> Red Sox true. are probably playing golf That's true. when the Yankees, but their fans, it's just twisting it. So you can, if you can get to the top, the problem is it's a trade-off because if your team gets to the championship game, even if your rival stunk that year, if you lose that heartbreak, you're feeling is a victory for them. So that's the trade-off and the danger. It's, Hey, I want my team to be better than their rival. But I know that at any point that my team loses, there's joy on the other side. Even if they stunk, even if they were garbage, when Mariano Rivera gives up a broken bat flare to the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Yankees lose uh, game seven of that World Series, Diamondback fans are number one happy. Red Sox fans are number two. Mets are number three. Uh, Uh, Orioles. As an Orioles fan, I felt number two. Like, you were up I there too. It. I was right there. I, I now I know there was other stuff going on, but I do remember that World Series because I remember I believe it was on Fox. They're saying, "How can you not be rooting for the Yankees with everything going on?" It's like easy. Yeah, <laughs> I do it every day. That was my <laughs> favorite. My favorite narrative was everybody said, "Well, after after nine eleven, yeah, the whole country is rooting for New York City." I said, "They're rooting for New York City." They're not rooting for the Yankees. Yeah, the Yankees are not. not New York Maybe City. in Game Three when Bush threw out the first pitch and there's sure. a but. In terms of winning the series, no. If you don't wear pinstripes, if that's not your team, you're not rooting. And I get it, man. Especially <laughs> yeah, then, yeah. when when our payroll was light years ahead of nobody. That that was garbage. Nobody that, was rooting. And and not to be, I, I mean, this dances on a more recent thing, but that was my main reason for not wanting to have the Virginia Tech Virginia football game. Because like, how am I going to root against these guys, right? And like, I know myself, and I was gonna like, and, and like, <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want my trueness to come out there. And obviously, all football focused, but like, I really was hoping they didn't play that football game because I didn't want to sit in the stadium and have to do what I knew I was going to do, and you know, grumble at everything they <laughs> do that's positive. Do. So. It's so weird. It's a, and I get it. It's sports, and it's a healthy thing. Mm-hmm. 
But to watch UVA basketball come out of the tunnel and they're wearing, you know, the numbers of the, the victims of the shooting and they've got their names on the back and you feel this like moment of like, you know, pride and sympathy and all that. And then the fans just start booing them mercilessly as they're coming out on the floor. And it's not, you know, it's sports. Right. It's what's about those guys. Yeah. No. And it, it, it helps heal. It helps get back to normal. Um, but it's a visual for me that blows my mind when, you know, you, they come running out of the tunnel with this tribute and all of a sudden the booze are raining down on them. But uh, no, I get that. It would have been a very odd feel had they played Virginia, Virginia Tech, because rivalries are supposed to be simple. You hate the other guys. You love your guys. That's it. Um, and, and that's how we like our rivalries. And, and and Joe and I, he references that UMBC. We were in the same room when that happened. We were at my house when it happened, and we went crazy. But if Virginia Tech knocks that little put back in over Duke to go to the Elite Eight that year, I, I'm probably still happy. It wasn't that. That, that was not the same year. Virginia Tech lost in the first. It wasn't round the same year. year. It was a different year. But I'm saying, yeah. it, like, if that, that takes happened, its my place, boy yeah. would have been higher than when UVA lost because that is me. I know myself that. I well, how about how about Virginia Tech? How about Virginia Tech winning the ACC tournament championship? Yeah, no, I went I went nuts last year. Yeah, no, so that, is, not as good. Which, what's a, not, not as, as good. good? That's what I was curious. It, that what's one's not as, probably. I, I will say it's not as good. It's it's in my <laughs> Virginia Tech sports history and everything. But like that national stage, as as much as we all think everybody bows down to the ACC, as soon as Duke and North Carolina aren't winning it, people are like, well, then that's the weaker year, and then you know, that's what they put on it. Winning in that NCAA tournament would have meant more and getting to that elite eight and beating Duke doing that then not beating Duke beating the ACC tournament. So, you know, and it's just minor differences, but yeah, I, I will agree that you got to do it on CBS in March to, uh, to make it. Count I, I guess the, more. And, the and that's only what UMBC did. They, they, they made sure, they more, they sure they? did. <laughs> I guess the only sure. Virginia tech sports memory that would maybe now that I'm thinking about it, that would maybe top that. Cause I was like, well, forget basketball, maybe Virginia tech sports history, but that year they went to the national championship. I do yeah. remember that. And I, I went to a lot of games that year with my grandfather and my, my uncles and was at the BC game when they like clinched the trip to the yeah. national championship. That was pretty awesome. Um, so, so I was like, okay, maybe that was better. But <laughs> it, and, and so, and that, and that's a little bit different, but it's the same idea of for, for me, Great memories sometimes is what was yeah. your what was your seat? You know, were you there with family? Like that Yankee World Series, even though they lost to the Diamondbacks, I went to games three, four, five in New York City. So I was there for the midnight home runs. Then I was there for the next night, the same thing. I was there for three with the president throwing out the first pitch. That World Series may remain one of my all-time favorites because of how I personally experienced sure. it, even though the, the end of it stunk. Right. So it's I like um, yeah, I bet. <laughs> or, you know, I, I always think about, you know, I was a Knicks fan growing up and uh, when they lost to the Rockets, but great memories of sitting in my best friend's basement with like six other friends, you know, yeah. sneak, sneaking beers down there as underage kids and watching, <laughs> watching John Starks missing all those shots while OJ Simpson is driving away in the, in the white. Like, yeah, that was a cool finals. But yeah, in the moment. All I thought was, man, it sucks that the Knicks lost. Man, it sucks that the Yankees lost. But um, yeah, your experience, I think, as we as we get older, maybe, and it probably does prop up that UMBC one for us because we went nuts. I had a I had a baby back in the hall. She she got woke up. It, there was no doubt about it. Like 
it was oh. happening. Like once it was getting close, I was like, baby's waking up. <laughs> no, and, and I've had a few of them. I mean, I, w- I was there in uh, in Chicago when UVA lost in the Elite Eight to Syracuse, and I was, yeah. you know, a, a half an inch <laughs> from pushing the button to book my flight to the Final Four, and uh, Syracuse puts on that trap. UVA beats it twice, gets down, but misses the layup, and I'm like, hold on, let me just see what <laughs> happens here. Uh, and then that, you know, again, being there, covering that, that's an experience that makes that a, I know, sorry, UVA fans, not a happy experience for you, but for me, like a, a real cool moment. And then yeah. UMBC kind of takes its place from a historical perspective. But um, yeah, I didn't have a rooting interest in that game. I, I bet it's even sweeter if you, uh, if you have a little bit of a, and again, probably you're right in that one, more about being a UVA rival than yeah. the, the small pocket yeah. of UMBC fans. That night we were all UMBC fans. So. <laughs> <laughs> I had merchandise on, on two days later. I had it on a t-shirt and a mug two days it's, later. It is amazing how many times in a road arena I'll walk in and, you know, the student section, they let them kind of all filter in together at most yeah. places. And I'll look up and then, you know, it's a sea of whatever color they are, except for a couple UMBC t-shirts <laughs> scattered through it. It's at, uh, yeah, that, that'll, that'll live forever. And, and I know UVA doesn't mind because they feel like that, that led they to the yeah. national title, but, um, yeah, there's enjoyment if you're a rival to, to bring that up. I right. only talk about one of those two things happening, so I'm fine. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you quickly forget the other one, right? Right. Yeah, I don't remember that one. Um, but thank you again, Mike. We'll, we'll officially wrap it up now, but thank you again for joining us. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Always fun, and I'll talk to you guys again soon. Thanks again to Mike Barber. We always have a lot of fun with him, and you actually got a little more than we were planning on there because we had start, we had kind of wrapped it up, and then we kept talking, and I was like, oh, this is good. I hope he's yeah. not mad. So I'm glad we kept it. In. <laughs> he, he was talking about having some of that on his own podcast. Yeah. Uh, did not keep it in, uh, but they had accidentally left some of that stuff in. And sometimes the best conversations I'll, t- I'll say for our listeners, some of the best conversations happen, you know, five minutes prior and five minutes after the, the parts you hear. Uh, now, sometimes that's being a little sometimes more we can't put it on opinionated yeah. in on certain topics that we shouldn't be public about. Uh, but you, you got some of that there. With Mike, who's a great guy, and uh, that's why it's safe with him, is because uh, he he probably keeps us a little bit more on the rails because he's such a such a solid guy. So glad to have him on. We'll have him on again, obviously. Uh, you know, he was talking about being on the ACC podcast the most. He's our third most, uh, only behind local Patrick Height and local Cody. So like he he's our once you get out of Augusta County coverage, he's our number one guy. So uh, he he owns that record uh, two different places. Yeah. Love having him on. So, uh, you know, we, we hit all the men's basketball. The only women's basketball point that I wanted to point out is that your VCU women finally did what we were kind of hoping they would do this year, and they, they beat some tough teams. The, the rivalry game with Richmond, it's a rivalry game with George Mason, too. They, they really had a good week. Yeah, it was rivalry week. Um, they started out 0-2, a combined four points in the losses um, to Fordham and St. Louis in those two games. And they go to play Richmond, who has been doing very well this year. Go to yeah. Richmond, cross town, get on a bus, you know, big long trip um, to take on the Spiders. Knock off the Spiders. Uh, kind of survived that comeback uh, and weathered the storm there against Richmond when they tried to have that. Against George Mason, it was a 9-0 run to start the game. And they were up 9 nothing before George Mason knew what happened. Um, and they kind of expanded on that lead, got it up to 17 um, and then we saw George Mason right at the end of the half, bang, 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 three three-pointers um, to make it a nine-point game. It really kind of changed what the stats had looked like because up to that point, 
I think George Mason had shot 9% in the second quarter mm. until bang, 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 three straight threes right at the in the last minute of the first half. So it's a nine-point game. Well, second half, and it was almost like halftime came at the wrong time for George Mason because the second half, uh, VCU picked up where they started the game and just started rolling them again. And then George Mason comes back, gets it within five, but VCU makes the shots, weathers that storm like they did against Richmond, and this time pulls away, ends up winning that George Mason game pretty decisively by double digits. Uh, and, you know, Mariana Asari, uh, the freshman, has a career high. Sarah Tibiasu keeps on lighting it up. She had a career high against Richmond. Janika Griffith-Wallace in the game against George Mason scored her 1,000th career point uh, between Murray State and VCU in her college career. So a lot of uh, upward trajectory for VCU. And this week they're going to have Davidson uh, tomorrow or Wednesday, um, depending on when you listen to this. Uh, That's Wednesday night. (laughs) And then they'll be at George Washington on Sunday. So an opportunity for VCU to kind of pick up a couple more wins this week uh, before the A-10 schedule really starts to get difficult again with the top tier of that A-10. Well, very cool. I'm glad we'll get another home game for VCU to hear uh, to hear you on on Wednesday night. Um, but this weekend, we got uh, a good dose of NFL action. And man, the, the NFL just delivers <laughs> with these playoffs. Um, so much so that, you know, the idea that it's all fixed and script writing is out there uh, is keeps getting kicked around because it, it just like, there's so many good games. I, I don't know why people think all of a sudden in the playoffs, the NFL just starts fixing things when all season. I mean, that's the witching hour every week is, you know, these teams that win or lose by three points um, every week. And, and that's what we get in the playoffs. And uh, yeah, it was good. What, uh, you know, we, we argued about what games we were most looking forward to. They, they were both good games. Uh, so no one was wrong there. Um, I, I think the Buffalo game being a close game is a little more surprising. Um, I don't know. I really don't know about that statement, but I, I don't know. Uh, I thought that comeback for Jacksonville kind of stood out to me as going to be one of those memorable moments from that weekend. I think w- when we get to the Super Bowl, we'll still be kind of referencing that, even though I don't expect Trevor Lawrence to be anywhere near Super Bowl weekend. Um, that was that was huge. I mean, he was terrible in the first half with bad throws being his four touchdowns, four interceptions. I mean, it, it wasn't good. I sat there and watched every play of the first half. And then I got to, you know, I allowed myself to be distracted in the second half until, until I didn't because we had to come back in the room, watch the fourth quarter. I was keeping track of the score the whole time, but you know, he turned it around and I just wonder how valuable that's going to be to what he is as a quarterback to, to have it just to be out. I mean, really be as bad as it can be. I mean, uh, the funny tweets I saw was, you know, that was the worst half of football I've seen. And I just watched TCU play <laughs> the other right. day. Like, I mean, it was, it was terrible. And then just completely flipped in the second half. Um, and he had four touchdowns and they led him to the victory. And so he kind of had the the terrible and then the good. And, you know, to win with, on, with something that was so terrible that, I mean, how beneficial that is for him. I, I could see this really being a jumping off point for his, you know, maturation. Well, well, I mean, we'll see, right? They play Kansas City next yeah. week, and if you have four picks, yeah, I, I don't think Kansas it rolls City, in next week as much. But I just think overall, as a development of a player, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't have to have that tough playoff action next year. Like he's past maybe. that now. Yeah, maybe. You know? I, I don't think a lot of that division. So maybe, um, but 
they'll be in the playoffs. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I mean, they could be that team that gets in and then you're just like, hopefully they win a game in the playoffs yeah. every year. Um, but I, I'll be honest when it was 27, nothing, I was sitting there going, man, this is terrible. And I had texted you the tiger King. I'll never financially recover from this, uh, <laughs> gif. And then this right before halftime, they score a touchdown and then coming out, they get the stop score again. And I was like, man, I really wish you hadn't dug yourself in such a big hole. And then they yeah. kept coming back. And then once they got the, once they got within a score, I was like, okay, I, I'm here. I'm, I'm ready to believe. And look, I, I think he's going to survive because he didn't get fired this uh, today. He got, they fired the offensive coordinator and the quarterback uh, yeah. coach, but the I, I absolutely coach. think Staley should have been fired. I look, I think I understand analytics, right? And you go with the analytical analytical decision. That's what he's known for. But there are times where I, I think he's just, he always gets it wrong. Even though the math says, this is the right decision. Every time it comes back wrong for him every time in, in a, in a way that maybe it's the right decision to go for it, but you don't know the play to run like, and I think he's not good. He has everything you want, right? He's got good wide receivers. He's got the quarterback. He's got a pretty decent defense, especially with Bosa on the field. Like there's no reason this team should be in a playoff game. Because he blew it last year. All he had to do was tie, and he stupidly calls a timeout to try to get the ball back from the Raiders who are trying to run the clock out and give him the tie so they both get in the playoffs. He blows that, then ends up costing himself a trip to the playoffs last year. Well, this year he gets in the playoffs and is handed a 27-0 lead. Trevor Lawrence, by himself, basically spots him a 27-point lead just so he can come back and rip his heart his heart right out of his chest, like yeah. uh, Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. And it, it's just, I couldn't believe it. I, I was, at the end of that game, I was like, you get fired for that. And yeah. so the uh, fact that he still has a job. It, though, too. it wasn't cool. like out of nowhere. Like, it wasn't one game you fired. Like, they were already questioning, like, mm-hmm. if he was going to make it anyway. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely a fireable offense. Now, as I said, <laughs> I hope Jacksonville keeps it a close game because I'm going to be watching it, so I, I'd prefer it to be close. But I do think Kansas City runs away with this game. I, I just don't think yeah, they are good enough to yeah. hang with the Chiefs. Um, I agree. I, I, I'm not going to argue that point. I, 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 when I talk about his maturation and all that, I'm not really trying to prop him up for next week. I just think like it, it moves him ahead. You know, as a second year quarterback, he's kind of some of those moments you see in a third or fourth year quarterback. I wonder if he kind of you know it has at least had part of that, if not all of that, to where he can kind of step up from here. And, and you know, you say you don't have any faith in that division and everything. NFL, I mean, it, it only takes a year or two, and that division can be a lot different. Let's look at the NFC East for that, the, for that fact. Three of the teams left in the playoffs are from the NFC East. Two years ago, the NFC East was the butt of everybody's joke in, in football. So it doesn't take long for that division to look better. There's plenty of high draft picks in that division, plenty of coaching changes, hopefully in the right direction, that division. So I, I'm not going to write Trevor Lawrence off because of that division on what it is today. You know, I, I, I will I because, be- because unlike the teams in the NFC East, where I think there is a history of them being relevant. I think the Houston Texans are one that's a mismanaged franchise from top to bottom. So I don't think they're going to be relevant. 
Um, then you're looking at the Colts who seemingly find a way to not make the playoffs every year. And Reason then, and then there's the Tennessee Titans who that's the one team he's going to have to beat. It's the one team he's got to beat. Yeah. I but, don't know. I, I'm just not writing that division off for Trevor Lawrence's career like that. I, I just, I will. We wrote it at the AFC East off for Tom Brady's career for a reason. Um, because it was mismanaged. I think the AFC South is mismanaged. Speaking of AFC East, moving on throughout the weekend in chronological order, um, that Bills Bills Dolphins game, I had texted you after the Jags game saying, I told you I was right that that was going to be the most exciting game of the week. And then the Bills Dolphins, Josh Allen tried to will the Dolphins back in that game by himself. Because when they're up 17-0 and he throws that 70-yard pass in the air or whatever it was that got picked off, I was like, that's the only way the Dolphins are going to come back is if you do stupid things like that. Like, And he kept doing it. He kept chucking it all the way down the field. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Somebody get a hold of him and be like, stop. Like that scene in Parks and Rec when uh, Chris Trieger is sitting there going, like talking to himself, like stop pooping. Like someone just needed to go to Josh Allen and be like, stop pooping yourself. Like this is terrible. But then like, he's part of the winning plays that, that gets it done. Like, it, it reminds me of Brett Favre. They, I'm not won saying the game because, they won the game because the coach couldn't get a play in 51 seconds. Well, that, too, that too. But I mean, you know, there was positive plays still from Josh Allen. It reminds me of Brett Favre. Like Brett Favre, yeah. you know, put fire out that he started, you know, like that kind of mentality. <laughs> That's true. Gunslinger, throw it all <laughs> over the field. Like, you know, I'm not saying exact mirror image of Brett Favre, but just like so, there's a common trait in there somewhere. And I think Josh Allen is pretty decent and he's won a lot of big games. So like, I, I don't know now, you know, this week they do have Cincinnati who, you know, I guess I'm jumping around a touch, but Cincinnati did come out victorious there. And that's a battle of two quarterbacks that are trying to, you know, get to that next level. They want to be in that AFC championship game and, you know, like either one are deserving. And I think Kansas city should have some level of, of hesitancy with either team that they get. I mean, they got to take care of their business first, but like, you know, Kansas city's number one seed for a reason. So I don't know. I'm, it was a good game. I did miss some of it. I was messing with some little league basketball with, but yeah, it was a good one. I, I, I did get that. I didn't get spoiled. Uh, in the year 2023, I pressed record on the DVR, left the house, was in public standing beside a bills fan that was at the game two weeks ago and I still didn't get spoiled. So I, I was proud of myself for that. Yeah. I'm going to come back to what I think about Bill's Bengals in a minute. But <sighs> moving on, Giants, Vikings. This was the game that I think, well, it's not. Um, but this was a disappointing game because I went to that game thinking, okay, the Giants aren't good. Like the Vikings are going to take care of business here and move on. We'll get a pretty solid playoff matchups in the NFC next week. Um but then the Vikings, Kirk Cousins, I'm sorry. That We want to talk about all the mistakes Washington has made. Kirk Cousins was not one of them. Letting that guy walk was smart because that guy is just failure personified. <laughs> he cannot, cannot win a game that matters. Absolutely can't. It's, he's, allergic, it always, he's allergic to the idea of having a Super and Bowl. And it never feels like Minnesota gets beat it feels like they lose it every yes. time they get in these spots. It's not that the giants just came out and just dog like that would be one thing, but it just, 
it just feels like Minnesota goes out there and screws it up and gives it away. And it's just, it's such a disappointment for a team that had their moments this year and had, had big wins and, and was up there in the ranking. And it's just, nah, it's just, and for, I that, pass, to for that to be the last play, I, I know Kurt Warner's breaking down the plays like, well, that's the only receiver he had. And I was like, you know what? Chuck it downfield, see if you get a flag. See what happens. Yeah. You've got Look Justin what Jefferson. Them. What Justin Jefferson, I, it was two weeks ago I saw him make acrobatic catch after acrobatic catch. Throw the ball in his general direction and see what he does. I That is, I'm sorry, on a fourth and eight, throwing the ball three yards from the line of scrimmage is never the right decision. Yeah, throwing the, yeah, absolutely. You have to throw it seven yards or more on fourth and eight. I'm sorry. I can't like, believe they had routes short of the first down. Yeah. I was I, like, what are you doing? Why are we, why do we down. even don't have that? Don't dump it down time left. Why do we even have that? Like, <sighs> I just, that was mind-boggling, mind-bogglingly stupid. The only thing that made me more angry than that game was the game that followed. And it was honestly, Leland, going into the game, I was like, we're going to get killed. I'm not even stressing out about it. And the game started off like, yep, this is about right. Bengals go down the field, bang, touchdown. Our offense, garbage. I was like, cool. All right. And then the Ravens got some stops and put together a drive, got some points. And then we actually had the lead at halftime because we held on to the ball, got a field goal. And I was like, okay. All right. Maybe something will happen here. And we stayed in the game, kept Kept it close, kept fighting, kept fighting. It's a tie game, and then Tyler Huntley busts off a 30-yard run to get to the two. And I'm sitting there going, hey, who the hell's Lamar Jackson? Never heard of him. And then our offensive coordinator, and their Ravens Twitter has wanted to kill the offensive coordinator all season. Forget firing him. They don't want him to be alive. I mean, there are a lot of people tweeting a lot of things on Raven Twitter. I'm like, yo. That gets you put on a watch list. Like, <laughs> but they they were apoplectic. And I, as was I on the quarterback sneak where he's like hold, yeah. from the two, and which means he's standing at like the three or four, holding the ball out above the line. And as soon as he stuck the ball out, I was like, what are you doing? And the ball gets smacked out of his hands. And I was like, please, Gus Johnson, catch that. And. It wasn't Gus Johnson that caught it. It was a Bengals linebacker who then proceeds to run all the way into the end zone for what ends up being the game-winning touchdown. And when that touchdown happened, I said, we're done. That's game. Now, unfortunately, the offense, for a few drives, didn't do anything. But the defense kept us in the game. And part of me was angry at the defense for doing that. Because I was like, just give up a touchdown so I can just give up. But, and this goes back to the Patrick Height-Chris Lasseter argument. I would have much rather that happened. Because then I would have gone to bed. I would have been like, you know what? It's our backup quarterback. That's supposed to happen. But we kept it close. We get all the way down there. We get close again. And he just can't do it. And the worst part is the Hail Mary gets tipped. Our receiver dies for it and gets a fingertip on it in the end zone. And I was just like, damn it. I hate football. I don't ever want to watch this game again. And then the next night I watched it. But Still Monday night, yeah. <laughs> but I just... That was so aggravating, which then you have the off the field stuff with the Ravens, right? Lamar Jackson's not there. He doesn't even travel with the team because he's got a PCL sprain. It's a grade two, almost a grade three. He didn't think he was 100%. And here's the thing. 
I understand both sides of this argument, Leland, and I, I sympathize, sympathize with both sides in this contract dispute. If Lamar Jackson doesn't feel 100% and doesn't want to risk his long-term health to play in that game, I'm fine with that. That's cool. But then on the flip side, Lamar Jackson, when you're asking for all your money guaranteed, that's a knee injury. There is not a single NFL team that is going to pay you $250 million for what you can do with your arm. Not one. Not even the Cleveland Browns. So what, or the New York Jets. So what you're asking them to pay you $250 million for is your ability to throw and run. Not throw, throw and run. Because if you can't run anymore, you're a below average quarterback. So the Ravens not wanting to guarantee that money because this is now a knee injury that he wasn't healthy enough to play in the last six games of the year of the regular season, seven if you count the playoff. So he also didn't play in the last six games of the year last year. So now we have back-to-back years where you haven't been able to close out the season. The Ravens are not going to pay you $250 million guaranteed. I don't yeah. care that you the gotta, Cleveland you Browns play after Thanksgiving to get two hundred fifty million. Yeah, I I don't care that the Cleveland Browns gave Deshaun Watson two hundred thirty four guaranteed or whatever. The Cleveland Browns are a failure of a franchise. The Cleveland Browns are the Somalia of the NFL. It's a failed state. They are not what you look at and say, "Well, they did something." I'm like, cool. That seems like a pretty good reason not to do that thing. Like if the Cleveland Browns started saying, "You know what?" We think mustard on hot dogs is good. That would change what I do. I also eat mustard on hot dogs. If the Cleveland Browns said we love mustard on hot dogs, I would stop eating mustard on hot dogs. <laughs> that is, that's how bad and incompetent I think they are. I don't think, I think every day they make it through the day without someone reminding them to breathe is an accomplishment. I, I think that little of the Cleveland Browns organization. So the, when Lamar Jackson's like, well, Deshaun Watson got that money. Cool beans, dude. Guess where the Cleveland Browns aren't? The playoffs. And we would like to be in the playoffs. We'd like to have you be a part of that. But if you're going to insist on making $250 million guaranteed, we're going to have to pass. What we're going to do is we're going to franchise tag you, and then we're going to hold some stupid franchise like the Jets or the Commanders or the Panthers for ransom for two to three first-round picks and some second-round picks, and then we'll go draft your replacement in next year's draft. Not this year's draft, next year's draft. I want to be very articulate in how I say that. But that, that to me, not interested in paying Lamar Jackson $250 million guaranteed. Now, our fan base is full of mouth-breathing, knuckle-dragging fools. We're like, this is why you got to pay him. Look what Tyler Huntley did. Oh, my God. The locker room is saying it. The locker room is saying it after the game. Hey, how many players are good GMs? Yeah. That locker room's messed up. That locker room has I a problem, and that's wonder, why that's why you have I to get rid of him. I think. I've, you I can't have wonder if Harbaugh is going to run out of time there. I hope not, because some of the fan base wants to fire Harbaugh too. And and my thing I'm with that, now. I'm not going to get rid of him now by any means. I well, there's people that want to get rid of him now, but but I'll say to you what I say to Steelers fans: Who are you going to bring in? Oh, yeah. And because, you're not talking to me when you say that. Right, you know right, I'm not, right. Yeah. But I think Ravens fans, we've never had a prolonged drought. And I think Ravens yeah. fans are a little bit spoiled in that. 
Like same as Steelers. Yeah. Why don't you look at the Jets? Why don't you look at the Browns? Why don't you look at some other franchises that have fired coaches, the Panthers, fire Ron Rivera, right? Because they weren't winning enough playoff games with Ron Rivera. What have the Carolina Panthers been? Not very good. Yeah, worse, worse, worse without him. Jets fire Rex Ryan. What are the Jets? Not very good. So sometimes, yeah, I understand. And they're sitting here going, we only have one playoff win in the, the last X number of years. Guess who's been the quarterback? Your boy, Lamar. Who doesn't have a lot of playoff success either, by the way. And now wants 250 million. losing seasons in the last. Yeah, 20, I am not you know, interested yeah. in firing John Harbaugh. Not, even yeah. if John Harbaugh goes out and goes 4-13. and 13, it, You know what? If we trade Lamar and go 4-13, and 13, that's awesome. Thumbs up, John. You did your job. We're going to get a good quarterback, and we're going to build. I trust the front office of this franchise, which has more years than not, built us a winner capable of getting to the playoffs. Yeah. That's what hey, I trust. I, I think I've said everything you know who you I don't trust are players. I don't trust player GMs. Player GMs are terrible, terrible. Awful, yeah. awful smart in terms of how but, to build a roster. Yeah. Like LeBron, uh, my yeah, right. and my comment was more just how messed up that locker room is with people oh, like post game. Just and I texted you. I was like, that's why you got to get rid of him. That's why you got to tag him and trade him. Tag him and yeah. trade him. And if you have a bunch of stink in the locker room, you just tell him, guys, this is what we think gives us the best chance to win long term as a franchise. And and Lamar puts this thing on Instagram, which does not help. Right, the next day, if there's something you care about or love, you take care of it. You don't neglect it. Blah blah blah. Lamar, this isn't personal, brother. This is about the Baltimore Ravens. This isn't about you. You have missed 12 games the last two seasons. You don't get $250 million guaranteed when you have to use your legs for that. Every year, you're a step slower. And every time you're a step slower, you're worth less money. Absolutely not. And J.K. Dobbins can, you know, say... I agree. J.K. Dobbins should have gotten the ball inside the five-yard line instead of doing a quarterback sneak from the two-yard line like a bunch of chuckleheads. I think we win that game if we call that play. And you know what else, Lamar? If we don't run that quarterback sneak and we give the ball to J.K. Dobbins and he scores a touchdown and we win that game, Tyler Huntley has as many playoff wins as you do. We're not going to give Tyler Huntley $250 million guaranteed. Yeah. Yep, that's a heck of a point in that. Let's move it forward with uh, the Dallas uh, dominating performance <sighs> on Monday night. I, you know what stood out to me? And like, okay, Dak responded after a bad game that didn't mean anything for them in Washington. And, you know, a lot of good things for Dallas and winning a playoff game special for them. Tom Brady looked bad. Just like. I think just I said on the podcast last week, while I was nervous, I was nervous about this game because I don't trust Dallas necessarily. But Tampa's bad. Yeah. And, and Tampa a was bad. Wins, they had this season. They were bad for three quarters and then just mm-hmm. played the fourth. And, like, Dallas made sure that wasn't the problem. They got up early so where they could afford some scores late. As, as they could they afford did, to miss four points. extra points. It, it helped it helped my financial investments. And uh, it was good. So, like, I, I I don't know. Cowboys deserve to go on despite their kicker. Uh, I mean, <laughs> their kicker did everything they could to uh, – to help out Tampa Bay and keep them in that game. But, oh, man, I haven't seen a guy just fall apart like that in a long time. Oh, Chuck Knobloch comes to mind yeah. in baseball where he was at second base and couldn't throw it to first. Ben uh, Simmons. 
just he couldn't kick. And and then you start, you know, as a fan analyzing what he's doing. Not and not I was a fan of Dallas, but a fan of football. Like he's all the way over to that hash on that side and he's pushing it far. Like just line up in the middle and give yourself a 50-50 chance of making this thing, man. Just kick it straight. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, it was bizarre. It was weird. Um, my brother is a Cowboys fan and he was texting me like, what is he doing? He's point shaving. He's he's in on the fix. Um, we were texting the Andy Bernard saboteur gift to each other. Um, there was a lot being texted there, some of which can't be repeated on this podcast. But it was just it was bizarre. And it got to the point where like in a group text where both of us are in and, and some other friends of ours, like we're laughing. Like I'm like, I kind of want Dallas to keep scoring. And I mean. Part of me is like go for two for investment purposes, but then part of me being the sicko that I am was kind of like, I'll kick it again. Let's see what happens. Yeah, let's see again. <laughs> yeah, the now ESPN, the one he makes, ESPN doesn't get there in time. Yeah, there, yeah. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, which, was... which my brother texted goes, I didn't see it happen. I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> That's typical deck comment there. Yeah. <laughs> But it was great. All right. So they they go on. They play Dallas or they play San Francisco. And the NFC is just what the NFL wants. They, they got mm-hmm. New York and Philly and Dallas and San Francisco. That's just big markets, tradition, all that stuff. A lot of NFC East, which is always highly re- highly rated. On the AFC, you got Jacksonville at Kansas City on mm. Saturday. Cincinnati at Buffalo on mm. Sunday. Joe, a road team is going to win this weekend. Which I don't think they it? will. You don't. I think there will be no road team wins. And let me tell you why. So we're looking at Jacksonville, Kansas City. I don't know. 2023. Um, Jacksonville, Kansas City. I mean, let's be honest. No. So New York, Philadelphia. No. I just, I don't think the Giants, the two times they've played the Eagles, the game where the Giants played their backups was their best. And And maybe that's the decision, right? Maybe they play their backups against the Eagles' backups, and maybe it's a good game. But otherwise, they're probably going to get killed in that game. So then we're looking at Bengals-Bills. This is – I think if you're going to see one, it's on Sunday. It's one of those two games. But let me tell you why it's not going to be the Bengals. Bengals barely beat the backup quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. And I told you – barely beat the third-string quarterback for the Dolphins. That's fair. But the Bengals also barely beat the Ravens' third-string quarterback the week before. And I've told you, the Bengals aren't good. The Bengals have feasted on mostly bad teams in that win streak. They are fake. They're phony. They absolutely should have lost that game. Now, the one thing that could keep them in it is if Josh Allen just shuts his brain off and starts throwing picks. I, I just think Buffalo's too good. I just think Buffalo is going to cause havoc for them. I think Buffalo is going to – they have better receivers than we do. I, they're going to have a better quarterback than we did. And I will say, as as much as I think you're exactly right about the markets for the NFC, in the AFC, they are absolutely praying for Buffalo, Kansas City. Because yeah, anything I other think than that, I, be I know because since he was in the Super Bowl last year, there's they can they can prop that up. But with what Buffalo's been through, kind of the reason I was saying I'm anxious to see Buffalo play last week and going forward 
Yeah, I mean, it's the team everybody has talked about for the last three weeks is Buffalo. So, yeah, they, they want that team playing Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes. Sure. Sure. Because then you get Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, two of maybe the best quarterbacks in the league right now. And they had a heck of a game last year. And, and they've had well, two other years good ago. games. Yeah. It was two yeah, years two ago, years wasn't ago. it? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but they've had good regular season games, too, I think. Yes, they have. Um, yeah. and, and so that'll be a phenomenal matchup. 49, 50 I don't kind of think. Thing. I think if the Bengals get into that Kansas City game, you are about to watch a team get mud holes stomped. I, I, I don't know how else to say it other than I think the Bengals are the fakest team to make it into a playoff in a long, long time, and that includes the L.A. Chargers. I think San Francisco is a very good team, and that's why Dallas isn't going to beat them. Imagine I if agree. they had one of their top – like a, a top – Tier quarterback, you know, and and even who they thought they would like somebody on the roster that could play. Like I don't know. I think Brock like, Purdy's that guy. Purdy is doing very good and all that, but I just I just have to wonder if like the guy that throughout his career up to this point had more talent and showed more was on the field for him. Like, would they just be rolling through these playoffs and be the number one for sure uh, in everybody's mind? But I think so, I think Brock Purdy's proven Kansas City. I know it's a small sample size, but I think Brock Purdy has already shown you more than Jimmy Garoppolo ever has. I would be comfortable letting Garoppolo walk, seeing that with Purdy, go with Purdy, and I would be comfortable letting Trey Lance Lance walk. I if Trey Lance never plays another down for the San Francisco 49ers, that's a win. That guy is not was not NFL ready. I was nervous about him going to the NFL and saying, I don't think that's gonna work in the NFL. And I was right. North Dakota State, more times than not. Not a plan for long-term success in the NFL. No offense to the Bison, but Carson Wentz was Carson Wentz was small-time window success. Trey Lance was never success. Yeah, I I am not going to argue Trey Lance. I just think like the the front office business aspect of it. I I could just see them going next year with Purdy and him and kind of having a another idea of a plan if they if they still need to address quarterback. But like, I mean, Garoppolo was only on a one-year deal. They they nearly let him they go a year. They keep talking so I, about like, oh, what a you know, Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. Don't mess with it. Brock Purdy is doing very very well. Why do you want to mortgage your future with a rental of Tom Brady or a head case like Aaron Rodgers? Ride Brock if, Purdy if they go with either one of those guys, both with ties to the Bay Area. It is win now decision and not the word future is not really a big part of it. It's we're winning. But I think I think I think that's a stupid idea when Jimmy Garoppolo almost won you a Super Bowl against the Kansas City Chiefs. He was like a drive away from winning you a Super Bowl. And Brock Purdy right now looks like he looked like the best quarterback of the weekend. Yeah, I mean, it's what L.A. did a year ago. They went and got Stafford to win right now, which was a little bit more of a gamble than the names we're saying Aaron Rodgers and, and Tom Brady. At least those guys have been in winning situations before won a couple Super Bowls. Um, okay. But I, I don't know. We'll see I, what they do. I, I think that's a bad idea. I think, I think Sam can come away with a Super Bowl with Brock Purdy. At I think right that, now, that's the way you lock honestly, in and don't do nothing. I was going to say the way they're playing right now, I think San Francisco is the favorite. Yeah. I think in the NFC, I agree with you. I, oh, I, I I'm saying right period now. stop. NFL, they're the favorite. I think they're the best team in the playoffs right now. Because I mean, that Kansas defense, the only team I'm going to bring up. That and, defense uh, is 
phenomenal. That's the best defense in the playoffs right Such now. A good team. And their Such offense team. is clicking. They've got Chris Christian McCaffrey. They've got Ayuk. They've got um, Debo Samuel. They've got weapons all over the field. Brock Purdy is winning games. Brock Purdy looks great. I do not change a thing. Keep doing what you're doing. I think they do beat Dallas. Um, I do think it's a good game. And maybe part of that is my 90s nostalgia, wanting it to be a good game. I sent you something on, I know you saw it, but I sent you the old, the last time these two teams played uh, was in the NFC Championship at Candlestick Park in the playoffs. Or no, it's not, because they they played that playoff game where Dak slid last year. Um, but one of their matchups in the 90s was Steve Young versus Drakeman in the 90s uh, yeah. at Candlestick Park. And I sent that little intro that Pat Summerall's narrating. And I, I want it to be that. It's not. Um, <laughs> it's not that. But I do think San Francisco is the best team in the playoffs right now. And I, I think Dallas has the ability the ability to keep it close because their defense isn't horrific. Um, Micah Parsons has the ability to maybe stress out Brock Purdy a little bit in the pocket. But I think when you look top to bottom, I, I think San Francisco is a better team. And I, I think they I think, do win. I think you're looking at Philadelphia, San Francisco. Yeah, I think. I think I think Dallas. I think New York. The Giants or the Bengals have a better chance of winning this weekend than does Dallas. The Giants. Let me say this. I don't know how to say this any plainer. The Giants have zero percent chance. Well, I guess that tells you what I think about Dallas. I'd say okay. You want percentages? Jacksonville zero. New York zero. Cincinnati. I'll say thirty-five. 30. Yeah, yeah, somewhere in thirties. Yeah. Dallas. Probably, 10. I'll say zero. 30. I'll say 30. I don't think it's zero. I do think the Giants... I don't think it's 30. I don't think it's as high as 30. No. I think it's 30. I've, I think Micah Parsons can cause enough problems to slow down their offense that as long if Dak plays like he did against Tampa Bay, now, much better defense he's going to face in San Francisco, but if he can avoid turnovers and just not not throw the picks... I think C.D. Lamb is good enough. I think Ezekiel Elliott is good enough. Pollard is good enough. I hate your closet, Dallas Cowboy fandom. A just few scores up. and make that a make that a game they can win. Ugh, it's disgusting that you've ever cheered for these guys. By your own percentages, you pretty much had Cincy there as the one most likely to win this weekend. And I think they're but fake, so I don't. You did but I do none. think they're fake. So I don't think they're going to do it. I'll make a parlay with all the home teams. That's typical Leland, so. All right, D-block time. Uh, I want to talk about Mac McClun being in the slam dunk competition coming up in NBA yeah. uh, All-Star Weekend. So cool. Like, they've never had a guy from the D-League up in the slam dunk competition. I what is like, I'm so happy for him to have this opportunity just to get that stage. And he's going to, you know, have minutes of just everybody that's watching – the NBA package that night, what, you know, the NBA uh, all-star Saturday night package that they put out there and he's going to have minutes of everybody's focus. Like that, that's big for young guys in the league. You know, I know the slam dunk competition isn't what it used to be. I'm not trying to make it out that it is, but it is still, you know, the, the biggest piece of that all-star Saturday night. And I think him 
I'm ex- more excited to watch it. I, I won't lie and say I never watched this thing. I, I do turn it on some because it's just what I grew up doing. And for some reason in February on, on Saturday night, usually things are pretty boring. So I, it's on. And, uh, but I'm excited to turn it on. I'm looking forward to it. Um, he's tearing it up in the D league right now. I'm, I'm actually now afraid he's going to get picked up by somebody and he will be wearing an NBA Jersey for the slam dunk competition. I don't want him to, I want him wearing the no, NBA. I, he gets picked up. I'd like him to wear like an NBA jersey. I, I just think it's the, it, the legacy that that would leave, I think would be cool. And I, I give him a chance. I've watched those slam dunk competitions. I've seen all the slam dunk, uh, all the, you know, videos of, Max slamming it and doing the innovative stuff that he does, dunking the basketball. I give him a, a great shot. Yeah, he's not going to be going up against LeBron and uh, the high flyers of the NBA's, you know, future Hall of Famers like they used to do it in the 90s, but it's going to be awesome. So I, I'm really looking forward to that. If you didn't hear about it, now you have. Put it on your calendar. Watch the slam dunk competition in February because uh, we're going to have a Virginia boy in it that everybody, including me, has at some point doubted. <laughs> and uh, he's he keeps shoving it back in everybody's faces, and I think this is a great opportunity for him to get that focus on him, and I think he's going to benefit it from it on the backside. I don't expect him to stay in the D-League kind of after this because I think somebody in the league is going to want that, that you know, popularity on their team. I think it'll be a business decision along with the idea that he's putting up 40 points every other night in the D-League. I it won't be for business decision reasons. It'll be because they think he's good enough to play on their team. Uh, it's going to be a part of it. I think he is. I think, I think, I think he is there. He's right on that line. He's been brought up yes, a couple times. I think so I don't, that's I, that's, any that's, kind of a stretch. And I think there are more teams will consider it based on, Hey, we saw that guy and you know, he can step up in the moment and that'll be fun to have a Mac McClellan bobblehead night when he comes up after he won the slam dunk competition. I think it'd be awesome. If he wins the slam dunk competition. Sure. I don't know if he will. Um, I have, now, to be fair, I haven't seen. I don't see something in that slam dunk competition that's going to make me think he can't. So I, I don't. I haven't seen the other participants. I was talking about this with our musical talent that does our intro song um, at work. This it's a dangerous game. Yeah, it is. Um, right, <laughs> that's a very accurate statement. But we were talking about this, and we had said, I had said to him, one, I didn't know you were calling it the D League. It's the G League now. Um, Excuse me. But I didn't know G League players could be in the slam dunk contest. Um, they never had before. Right. So that's cool that he's the first and he's allowed to be in it. Um, and, and I told him, I, I, have, I haven't watched NBA All-Star Weekend in probably a decade. Yeah. And yeah, I will, I'll watch the slam dunk contest for as long as he's in it. So yeah. it's got me there. Um, now I still won't watch the all-star game. I probably won't watch anything other than the slam dunk contest, but I will be tuned in for that. And so, and I told him, and he's like, yeah, why, why did they go to him? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if they're having that hard of a time of getting NBA players to do it. And they just went into the G league and they're like, this guy can dunk. Let's have him do it. I mean, he's built a name for himself. I mean, like he's, there's like a, a current of, discussion about him because of his old sure. high school videos of dunking it and and then the and highlights he's turned in as he's been up in the but, up, but the like i said to him and this goes against your like it's a business decision like i don't think the nba is like you know the market we really need to crack is gate city like 
if we if we could crack the gate city market, everything. Oh, you're gonna make me go there on this. Everything will come you're together. You're gonna make me go there on this, Joe. I don't think that's what the NBA is trying to do. He's white. This is the that's the answer. I don't think that that matters enough, Leland. I really don't. Maybe I'm yeah. naive with that, but I don't think that's going to be a reason an NBA team signs him. I think they're going to sign him if they think he's good I enough. I think that's to play. the reason he's in the slam dunk competition. <laughs> I think that's a big part of it. And, and, and I'm not, I don't mean to just like, I don't mean to diminish him for that. He is a, as athletic as can be. And I think, I think he deserves this spot for compared to the talent that they put into the slam dunk competition. I, I think he's, I, yeah, I'll put him in there. And this is a guy that said, I don't think he's going to make it at the high D1 level. I said that out loud. And I was wrong. I mean, he absolutely has. But I just, I do think there is a side to this of him standing out with his leaping ability that he's dunking like they don't see other guys that look like him doing. And I, I, I guess, I think it's a factor. Maybe. I, I... And maybe I'm naive on this, but I, I don't think that's the reason he's in the slam dunk contest. I don't think that's the reason someone's going to sign him. I think I think an NBA team he's is scoring 40 points a game too. I mean, he's not 40 points every yeah, game. Yeah, but, but that like, okay, that'll be the reason they sign him. He's putting up that'll be the reason they sign him, right? If he's scoring seven points a night and doing that, I wouldn't be saying that. Like I, there, he has he has other things that are putting him there. Like he's teetering on that level of being up in the league or not. I think because he's at that level, I think this could maybe put him over the top with people paying more attention to him, you know, and. I do think I will say this. I do think the two teams that come to mind when he's been in the NBA, Golden State, which I don't think it's saying he's not a good NBA player by saying he can't crack that starting five. There's some pretty amazing players on the Golden State Warriors. And where he would go into the lineup with the Lakers, he's not going to be able to crack that lineup either. So I don't think he's available to everybody in the G. Right. That's my point. I think if teams see if GMs who maybe aren't scouring the G League right now, but they see him in the slam dunk contest and they're like, huh. And then they look at his numbers. Stat line. Wow. But yeah, yeah, then they're going to look at his stat line. And I think that's what will get him on a team. Not just that. Oh, look at this novelty in the slam dunk contest. I, I guess your what you just said is part of what I was saying is that he's gonna get the the noticed because of being in this. He's gonna Honestly, get that extra. I'll say this: that notice, if you're the Washington Wizards, I don't know why you haven't brought him on the team. Yeah, a regional star, or the Charlotte you Hornets play in that building. You know? Yeah, or the Charlotte Hornets. I don't. Those are two teams that Gate City would be close enough to be, well, I, and Virginia I mean, in general, you could get fans to. <laughs> I don't know why you're not bringing him in. Yeah, I, I'm not narrowing it down to Gate City. Maybe the state of Virginia to a degree. Like I would agree for those those NBA teams. Sure, like having him sit on the bench isn't going to hurt anything. Uh, yeah, no, at no point am I stating that the NBA cares about Gate City. And no, don't. I know you you're making wisecracks something like that. I don't want anybody to get messed up and thinks I said that. I I just think. Here's a guy that's going to be slamming in the slam dunk competition that hasn't looked like a lot of the other guys that have been slamming in slam dunk competition. I think it'll be fun. It's the same when, you know, they they put a woman in the slam dunk competition. I, I think there's a, there's a similar 
man, I don't want to say the word novelty. I think that's disrespectful, but like that it is different than what people have seen before and they want to highlight that or they want to use that as, as part of the, of the hype around it. I, I don't, novelty is not the right word, but I, it happens all the time in and around this game at all-star fan events. So I, I think that's what we're seeing here, and I think Max is going to take advantage of it because he's taken advantage of every other opportunity he's gotten to this point. I hope he does. I hope he has a great showing, and if, if he do does too. win it, I hope he does. I don't think he's going to. Um, and that's not me saying I don't think he's any good. It's just I don't, I don't know if he's that good. Um, but I'd love to be wrong. I, I'd love to be able to yeah. say, hey, I called three out of his four years in high school. I called the guy who won the slam dunk contest. Like that would be fun. Um, that would be so awesome. Hey, right, we were talking with Barbara earlier about like how you look back at moments and stuff based on like where your seat was for the game. I mean, me and you had Stanton against Mac McClellan two years in a row, once in a state uh, semi a quarter. And then the next year in the state final. And uh, yeah, those stand out. Those nights stand out to me. And one, one because Stanton beat him and the next one because he beat Stanton and, and both were big nights. And uh, yeah, I think he's in for another big night. I'm, I'm waiting for that. I love it. I love that he's getting this opportunity. However, whatever went into making this decision, I think he's going to take advantage of it. And I think he'll prove his worth. And, you know, they'll see that if, if someone notices his stat line because they shoved him in this slam dunk contest, great. Cause I think he'll earn a spot. I think I think his problem to this point has been he's been on the Lakers coming off a of a Nash, off a NBA Finals win and the Warriors who have an incredible roster. I think like he just needs his opportunity at another team. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna make things less fun. Um, what I, I don't know. I just brought up race, so I. <laughs> well, it's not not involved in my topic. Um. <laughs> But what I know that you need to know is uh, Orioles, one of the Orioles principal owners, uh, John Angelos, for the first time since his family sued him. um, And I actually think the first time since he's actually been listed as a principal owner, uh, had a press conference. He scheduled it for Martin Luther King Day to talk to the mayor of Baltimore about the investment that the Orioles are making. for inner city kids and kids of diversity and kids uh, in Baltimore. Now, he also invites the press. So there's a lot of questions right now with the Orioles this offseason. One, team's not investing in the major league roster. Why is that? Two, you're being sued by your family. What's that? Where, where is that? Where is that going? Um, does that have anything to do with problem A? And then problem C, there is your lease with the Maryland Stadium Authority runs out at the end of the year. Are you moving? You live in Nashville. Your brother has accused you of wanting to move the team to Nashville in part of this lawsuit. Where do you stand on that? His answer to Dan Connolly, who has covered the team for many years with the Baltimore Sun and now the Athletic, was that he is not going to answer those questions on Martin Luther King Day because it would be highly inappropriate uh, and it's 
rude of him and inappropriate of him to even ask those questions on such a day. To which Dan Connolly says, this is the first time you've been available to us since you've been the team owner. And he said, well, come to my office next week. I will show you all the financials. I will show blah, 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 blah next week, but not today. And then says, asks Dan Connolly a question. And when Dan Connolly tries to answer, says, uh, no, stop talking. I'm not done. And I was like, and then Dan Connolly says, well, you asked me a question. He goes, well, I want to finish my statement first. Dan Connolly goes, okay, go ahead. And then he starts talking. John Angelos continues to ramble on about, you know, all these things that, you know, why it's inappropriate for him to be asked a tough question on Martin Luther King Day, and that's not what today's about, and blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, oh, my I don't gosh. know. Martin Luther King seemed like a guy that was able to ask and handle tough questions. I don't. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm just like, dude, just answer the freaking question. Because I know you don't think this is important right now, but for a whole lot of people, this is no, it important. Doesn't, it is narrative. It's not that it's not important. It's just so stupid. But it's, it was, it was insane. And. Then, after he's done talking, Dan Connolly does not get to answer the question that John Angelos asked of him because John Angelos says, I'm not letting you ask any more questions. No, and tells the team official that is also there, don't take the microphone away from him and give it to somebody else. And I was like, wow, this is good. And so John Angelos is getting ripped in half by the fan base who already hates him. And here's the thing. And then his wife gets on Twitter. And says, the Orioles, I can't believe we're having to answer these questions still. The Orioles aren't going anywhere, blah, 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 to which. And just say that. To which she then marks her Twitter private because fans are just. And while it's not, maybe not the right thing to do, I also am with the fans on this. Everyone put, if you really love this team and this city like you guys say you do, sell the effing team. Your family is a parasite. Like, and they're not wrong. Ever since the Angelos family has taken over the Baltimore Orioles organization, it's been bad. The best thing that could happen to the Baltimore Orioles is the name Angelos is no longer affiliated with it. I had hopes that with John Angelos, things were going to change. The front office is better. Oh, which in his answer about how inappropriate it was to get the question, he did make sure to talk about how the front office has improved. Or not the front office, but the farm system is now the number one farm system. And I he didn't think anyone in the history of baseball has had the number one prospect back-to-back times in the history of Major League Baseball, which I guess MLK would have approved him talking about when he was answering that question, just not the answer, actual question. Um, but it was... It was bizarre mental gymnastics for him in that press conference that he called on that day, probably for that reason, hoping he wasn't going to get asked any actual baseball questions. Um, But he's an idiot. And honestly, if his team didn't prepare him for those questions, then they should be fired because they suck at their jobs. But part of me is probably like, they probably tried to go through a meeting with him and John Angelos is like, I don't need to answer that. Because I think John Angelos is inept. I think the entire Angelos family is inept when it comes to running the organization. I think they're very shrewd business people. They're very successful business people. But I think they're absolutely inept when it comes to running this baseball team in a productive way. And for that reason, I am, I am at the point where the Angelos family absolutely has to sell this team. 
for them to ever be actually have a shot at a World Series. And I say that with Adley Rushman and Gunnar Henderson and all these promising prospects coming up. Because unless every single one of them is a home run, it's just not going to work. I hope it's good enough to get in the playoffs. It was almost good enough to get in the playoffs last year. Since we're not going to invest in the team, I sure as hell hope they keep improving and we have more home runs waiting in the farm system that get called up so we can get to the playoffs. But damn, if this isn't disappointing. They need to make the playoffs next year. I'm going to hold you personally accountable. Well, I will send you to John Angelos, who, by the (laughs) way, I hope Dan Connolly and the rest of the Baltimore Orioles beat writers hold him accountable and next week go to the warehouse and say, we would like to see yeah, the financials, go there please. And see the stuff. We would like to see the financials, please. But here's the thing. And someone put this. The Orioles have a better chance of winning the pennant than John Angelos actually doing what he said he was going to do. And that's true. That's true. There's no way he does. There is no way he does, because he's a crook. All right. Well, we had a lot of good stuff to talk about this week. We'll be back with next week with more on the X Sports Podcast. More of the sports that you, the Augusta County sports fan, care about. Make sure you are following us so you can interact with us on Twitter or Facebook or emailing us at YaksportsPod is the way to find us on social media. YaksportsPod at gmail.com is the way to email us. Make sure your friends are connected with us through subscribing on Podbean, Spotify, Apple, any of those things that usually have podcasts. We should be on it, so make sure they're subscribed and they can – Pick up the same conversations you guys enjoyed this week and every other week. We'll be back next week with more fun. we got some good guests lined up in the next few weeks, so uh, make sure you're catching us each and every week. And We'll be back next Tuesday with the podcast, around Tuesday, and we look forward to talking to you then. You've been listening to Yak Sports, your Augusta County sports podcast.